my name is Abby, and I want to thank you so much for taking the time to watch this message from the church. We pray that you are highly blessed and encouraged. We would love to connect with you more at our website at www.thechurchokc.com. Uh, we're in the middle of a series tonight called Limitless, and uh, it's been a great series. We've talked about our limitless God. Uh, we've talked about the fact that we have limitless grace, and tonight... We're going to talk about limitless potential. You know, and I, I, I spent a lot of my time as a youth pastor, and I've done a lot of counseling, and, and, and I can't even begin to tell you that how many of the counseling sessions I've done uh, with, with friends and with family and with, with teenagers, that the story somewhat starts similarly in this. So-and-so, maybe it was a parent, or maybe it was a friend, or maybe it was a husband or a wife or, or whoever, told me that I'm not good enough. Told me that, 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 that I'm, 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 I'm worthless. That, that I'll never amount to anything. And it seems like so often this is where our stories and a lot of our testimonies will start. Is the fact that we have no self-worth. And I think that's why a lot of people may turn to addictions and turn to things that of this world is, is not for the fact that they necessarily started off desiring it, but they just wanted to block out what everybody else thought about them. And they wanted to numb themselves to what other people were saying. There was a great theologian. He was actually one of the first theologians of the Christian church. And he lived within about a hundred years of when Jesus died, and, and his name was Irenaeus. And uh, he came at a time when there was a lot of this um, arguing stuff going on about whether uh, flesh was good and spirit was bad, or if they were not, uh, just a whole bunch of real theological stuff that's smarter than me. But uh, I understood one quote that I want to share with you tonight from Irenaeus. And this is what he said. He said, for the glory of God, is the human person fully alive. And life consists in beholding God. For if the vision of God, which is made by means of the creation, gives life to all the living in the earth, much more does the revelation of the Father, which comes through the word, give life to those who see God. And, and to, to, to break it down a little bit, to make it a little Oklahoman, um, which is how I have to translate things. I wish that there was, you know, we have the NIV and the King James and the message translation. I really wish that there was an Oklahoma translation of the Bible that every so often they would just throw in y'all. Or if they're really excited, they would swap a hallelujah for, you know, a yeehaw or, you know, I mean, something along those lines. You know, I, would, I, could, I could understand that and grasp that a little bit, but maybe that's just me. But to, to Oklahomify Irenaeus' quote here a little bit, for the glory of God is a human person fully alive. What he's saying is that the glory of God comes alive and is fully recognized when we're fully alive in Christ. So we have this potential and we have, we have this, this basically canvas of our lives for God to do something on and for God's glory to really come alive. It's for God to paint this painting on our life. Tonight I want to talk about a couple guys in the Bible that we're familiar with, Paul and Peter. And if you have your Bibles, I, I want you to open them up to the book of Acts, chapter 22. We're going to start reading in verse 1, and we're also going to have it here on the screen with you.
But in Acts chapter 22, starting in verse 1, it says, Brothers and fathers, and this is Paul talking here. This is Paul getting up, and he's talking. He said, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Sicily, or Sicily, whatever. But brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day, persecuted this way, talking about Christianity, persecuted uh, this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as a high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Now this is Paul getting up to talk, and he's saying, look, I want everybody to listen to me. I am a Jew. I know I am, I am a theological student. And in other places, Paul actually tells people, he said, I, I advanced in the pharisaical order. I advanced to the top of the ranks faster than other people my age because I was so zealous, zealous about the history and the tradition and, and the faith that we have been taught. So he's starting out by giving his credentials and saying, listen, I want you to know who I am. And I, I defended our beliefs so much that I was going to persecute, I was going to kill, I was going to imprison all these Christians. In Acts chapter 9, another version of this, it says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, to Christianity, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Breathing threats and murder. This was who Paul was before Jesus. He was so strict and so intense intense about his beliefs that he was going to do anything he could, including murder, to keep this Christianity uprising from happening. And the story of Paul is this, on the way to Damascus, Jesus just comes up and just smacks him across the side of the face, knocks him off his donkey, blinds him, and he goes, Lord, Lord, you know, who, who are you? And he said, I am Jesus whom you persecute. And this was the beginning of the life change of Paul. And at that point, his name was Saul. And later he became Paul. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, God had told Paul, I want you to go ahead and go to Damascus. And I want you to find this, this guy. And I want you to tell this guy everything that had happened. And and so at the same time, God is telling this guy, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and children of Israel. You know, the thing that really fascinates me about Paul, in addition to his whole life, I mean, because this dude was like zealous at whatever he did, but what really gets me about Paul is this story, and I'll tell you why. If I was Jesus, okay, I can't tell you how many times that I've had this conversation with, with God. You know, somebody does me wrong, and I'm sitting there praying to God about it. I'm like, God, if I were you, this is how I would handle it, you know. Um, a big semi-truck right through their house, you know. Um, 
or a python coming out of the vent, you know, while they're sleeping, whatever. You know, I can get pretty creative and uh, telling God what he needs to do. But if I was Jesus in this situation, you know, we first hear about Saul at the stoning of Stephen. Stephen is getting stoned and he's getting murdered and martyred for his belief in Christ and in the way. And the Bible tells us that Saul was there holding the coats of those that were throwing the rocks and killing Stephen. And not just holding the coats, but approving of it. Giving his approval of it. Think about that. Is this the person that if you were Jesus, that you would choose to bring your glory to the Gentiles, to the whole world? You know, if it was me, if I was Jesus... Sure, I'd smack him upside the head and knock him off his donkey. And then I'd have his donkey just like, you know, kick him in the head or something. You know, we'd end this really, really quick. But Paul wasn't chosen by God because of his past. Paul wasn't chosen by God because he was a Pharisee, because he was zealous, because he was taught at the right school. None of that. Paul was chosen by God because God saw the potential of Paul in Christ Jesus. And, 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 and to, to really bring that to us, God doesn't choose you because of your past. God doesn't look at you and say, okay, well, you've done good so far, so now you're worthy for me to give you a little more grace and to give you a little more mercy and, and, and to, to, to go ahead and send you out and, and make the, your future bright. That's not dependent upon our past. That's not dependent on who we were. And I'll go one step further and say that's not dependent on who we are. Our limitless potential that we're talking about tonight has nothing to do with us. But it has everything to do with Christ Jesus. So we look at Paul here and Paul goes on time after time after time and talks about his life and his history. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, he's talking to Timothy, and this is Paul at the end of his life. And this is what he tells Timothy. He says, you take over. I'm about to die my life, an offering on God's altar. This is the only race worth running. I've run hard right to the finish. I've believed all the way. All that's left now is the shouting. Love that. All that's left now is the shouting. God's applause. Depend on it. He's an honest judge. He'll do right not only by me, but by everyone eager for his coming. This is Paul at the end of his life after all of this. And we know throughout history that Paul was tortured, that he was beaten, that he was, uh, uh, he was taken to Rome and he was imprisoned and all sorts of stuff. There's a little, uh, a little debate in, in history over how Paul died, but we do know that he was martyred. He was either beheaded or he was hung upside down and crucified like Christ, but hung upside down and crucified and this is how Paul's life ends. But Paul lived this potential out not because of who he was. Because if you understand what, what Paul understood, none of that matters. And, and I can tell you one thing about Paul is that 
Paul never really got over the persecution that he committed towards the Christians. He never got over that. And I think a lot of that is because he was trained and he was a Pharisee and he knew the word. And it was like, how can I live this life? And how could I have gone so long and not realize that Jesus really was the Messiah? But then when he got it, everything changed in his life. I mean, everything changed in his life. And it wasn't a process for Paul. The Bible tells us that after he left, after he left Anais' house and, and, and here in Damascus, that he immediately went and began preaching that Jesus Christ was the risen Son of God. It wasn't this process where, where he had to get over some of this stuff and get over some of this stuff and then he had to rework everything out and then eventually he moved on. And I think that's where we find ourselves a lot of time is the fact that, well, God, I'm going to do things for you and I believe that, you're the, that, that, that Jesus is the risen Son of God and that you have a plan and you have a purpose for my life, but I have to take care of this and I have to take care of this before I can really achieve the potential that you have for me. And so we try to quantify what God has done in our life by saying, okay, my future is looking bright, my present is a transition, and I'm going to pack my past away. But that's not what Jesus died for. Jesus didn't die for a transitional life. Jesus died so that you could have life now and that you could begin to realize the potential that you have in Christ we're all familiar with the verse in Jeremiah 29, 11, that says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Some translations say, uh, well, this is one of them, plans for welfare. Not that type of welfare. Okay? All right? Not that type of welfare. Um, but plans for a future and a hope. And, and what's interesting to note about this, uh, about this, you know, we, we always read this, this verse. And this is the most famous verse in all of the book of Jeremiah. And one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. And one of the most quoted verses. Okay? But there's a little more to the story than just this verse. Because see, what's happening here, and, and let me read it out of this translation here. It says, I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. When you call on me, when you come and pray to me, I'll listen. When you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. That goes, that's the next two verses. But what this is saying and, and, and the, the situation to set this up is that Jeremiah is talking to the people of God when they don't want anything to do with God. They just want to kind of have their ears tickled and they just want, and, and, and what God is saying is, look, look, I'm sending you in, into exile. You're going to go become captives and, 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 and be kind of lorded over by, by the Babylonians. But while all this is going on, and I'm doing this because you don't want to have anything to do with me right now, but... I still know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Plans not to harm you, not to abandon you. And when you get serious about finding me and seeking me, I'm going to be there and I have those plans ready for you. You see, God's plans for the Israelites were not based on whether the Israelites were good enough. 
were not based on whether or not the Israelites obeyed enough and did everything right, the right way. God's plans and God's will for our life is not something that we put on, but it's something that we walk into. Another person in the Bible that I want us to talk about tonight is Peter. And I love Peter. All right? I mean, like, if you were to bring the disciples, like, modern, modern day, Peter would be like the redneck. Okay? I mean, he really would. I mean, he would be kind of like working on the oil rig or working on the farm or something. I mean, he was kind of a man's man, dirty, didn't bother him. You know, he wasn't real educated, probably didn't speak the right way. He probably said y'all, all right? Yeehaw, I mean, you know, he went for the Sooners. I mean, he was a good man. If I was talking about the devil, I'd talk about the Cowboys, but... Um, <clears throat> Hallelujah, yeehaw. <laughs> yeah. But, but this is the thing about Peter, is Peter always spoke before he thought. Anybody ever been there? Yeah? You know, you say something, and then as soon as you say it in your head, you're kicking yourself going, why did I say that? This was Peter. The Bible tells us that on the night that God, that Jesus was betrayed, you know, they're all sitting around and they're doing the Last Supper and, and all of this. And, and basically, Jesus is saying, one of you is going to deny me. And Peter jumps in. He says, not me. Man, I'm going to follow you to the death. I'll cut off a soldier's ear for you. You know, I mean, because we know that this is what he did. He cut off a soldier's ear. And, and, and this was just Peter's personality. But he just jumps in. He says, he says, not me. I'm going to follow you to the grave. And Jesus said, Peter, before the night's over, you're going to deny me three times. And we know what happened. Peter denies him. You know, the last sight that Peter had of Jesus was as Jesus was taken away for trial. And, and you know, his world had to come crashing in on him. He had so many regrets. And he was never even able to tell Jesus that he was sorry. You know, there's that movie, The Passion of the Christ, and one of the things, that, uh, one of my favorite scenes of that, or I don't know if favorites are a word, but most potent scenes of that is after Peter denies Jesus the third time, Jesus is kind of being led aside and their eyes meet. And you can just see like all the hope and all the life and all the energy just like drain out of Peter. Peter gave up on himself after that. I mean, here he was. I mean, somebody who just, man, he walked with Jesus. I mean, he saw Jesus like feed thousands of people and bring people back to life and heal and I mean just amazing stuff and you think you know and I, I know that I, I don't know about you I'm sure you guys have probably prayed the prayer like me God if you were just here you know Jesus if you were just here walking on this earth right now it would be so much easier to follow you and to be the Christian that I need to be if I could see you with my own eyes anybody been there prayed that prayer false <laughs> look at Peter I mean, Peter was an intimate disciple with Jesus. And 
he still denied him. He had so many regrets. But the resurrection of Jesus changed all that. Mark chapter 16, verse 7. I love this. I mean, this is just so Jesus. You know, there's just things that, that we see in the Bible, and some of them you're like, yeah, that's my God. Mark 16, chapter 16, verses 6 through 7. And, and this is, the, so some of the women had, had gone and they were looking for, for uh, Jesus in the tomb for his body and the body wasn't there and the angels were there. And so this is the angel talking. He said to them, do not be alarmed. You see Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before him to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Does anything stick out there? And Peter. This is, this is so Jesus. Jesus wasn't just saying, okay, go tell all the disciples, just go tell everybody that I'm here. You know, it would have been real easy for him to say, go tell everybody except that lousy, no good redneck Peter that denied me three times that I'm risen. No. This is Jesus. Go tell my disciples and especially tell Peter. This is what he's saying. It's not over. You screwed up, you blew it, so what? Go tell Peter. You see, we give up on ourselves. Peter gave up on himself. The Bible tells us that whenever Jesus came and, and, and saw Peter uh, there, there at the, uh, while he was fishing, you know, made him breakfast and, and do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep, all of that. Peter had went back to fishing. He had went back to the life he'd know because he had disqualified himself because of his failures. We do the same exact thing. God, I know you love me, but I'm not good enough. God, I know you love me, but I can't kick this addiction. God, I know you have a future and you have a plan for me, but I'm never going to reach it because I've done this or because I'm this or so-and-so told me this. We look at our potential according to what we've done in our life, according to the marks and according to the check marks. Well, I'm, I, I don't do this and I don't do this and I do do this and I do this. Okay, so put all this together. Okay, I'm good enough to step into the potential that God has for me. And that's not how it works. Because none of us are good enough and we'll never be good enough to step into the potential that God has for us. That's why Jesus came. And that's why our potential is limitless. It's because it's contained in the limitless power of the blood of Christ. And it's not so anyone can boast. It's a gift of God. That's what Paul tells us. So we have Paul, who wrote 14, at least 14 books of the New Testament. And most scholars will agree, apart from Jesus, is the most important figure in the history of the church. 
the one most responsible for the spread of the gospel outside of Jerusalem and outside of, of the Hebrew area. Had such a change in his life because of this encounter with Christ that he took it all the way to the grave, to being tortured, to being martyred because he believed it in so much. There wasn't potential that Paul had. That was the potential that comes in us and becomes available to us when we get a hold of the blood and body of Christ, when we get a hold of the sacrifice. And we have Peter, good old Peter, who's so quick to act and so slow to think and so quick to mess up. When these two ladies came to the grave to take care of the body of Christ, they figured his body was still going to be there. You know what I mean? He was dead. They saw him crucified. They saw him wrapped. I mean, they were all part of this. And so was Peter. And the disciples are in hiding. And just all this kind of stuff is going on. And, 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 and look, God is all-knowing. God is limitless. God knows the future. He knows what's going to be put in the Bible 2,000 years later. Okay? In the message translation, the Oklahoma translation, whatever, he knows. The first words that were uttered about the resurrection of Christ. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. This is somebody who not more than just a few days before denied Jesus, even with a curse, denied Jesus. But God did not discount him. God did not give up on him. Because the potential of Peter was not found in Peter's actions, but it was found in the blood and body of Christ. And when that resurrection happened, that slate of Peter was wiped clean. And Jesus Christ wanted Peter to understand that and to know that. And tonight, he wants you to understand that. Look, some of you have walked in here tonight with addictions. And you're discounting yourself and saying, man, I really want to be that kind of person that God wants me to be, but I can't shake this. And I'll never reach it. And for others, some of you have grown up your whole life with people telling you that you'll never amount to anything and you're never going to be good enough. So What? You know, apart from Christ, you're, you're not going to be good enough and you'll never amount to anything. But when you get a hold of the body and blood of Christ, when you step into the potential that Christ has paid the way for you, that he has paid the price for you. Look, this week, I'm going to fall. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to fail. I'm going to do something stupid. I don't start over at the bottom. Because God's grace, his limitless grace is there to catch me. And because I'm walking in that, what I understand is that my potential in Christ and what God can do in me and through me, because understand this, is that everything that God does in you, your salvation, your, your, your healing, your, your freedom from addiction, your, your, all of this, 
everything that God does in you is so that he can do something through you, through your life. And if God, the work that God has done in you is sacrificing his son and conquering death, hell, and the grave, the potential of that working through you is limitless. Is limitless. So yes, you do have a hope and you do have a future, but Brian, you don't know what I did. I don't care. I don't have to because I know what Christ did. But, 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 but Brian, you, you, you don't know the, the, the pills and you don't know the addictions and you don't, I don't have to. But, but, but Brian, I can't keep a job and, and I'm not good with this. And I, I, I don't, it, your potential is not based upon your, you. Your potential is based on what Christ is doing in you and what he's doing through you. And that church is limitless is limitless. So don't discount yourself. If the band will come back up, don't discount yourself and don't count yourself out and say, okay, well, but, but, but Brian, here's where I'm at now. It's not about where you're at now. God doesn't judge you based on where you're at now. Judge, God judges you and determines your future based on who you can be in him and through him. And, I, and we, we, we miss that so often. We miss that. I can't tell you how many people have, have come even to this church and God has been doing things in their life and you can see change is happening and then they mess up and because they mess up, they discount themselves. It's not that God ever discounted them. It's not that God ever counted them out, but they discounted themselves. They threw in the towel and they walked away. Christ didn't die so you could walk away. If Christ's blood and his broken body was only good enough for you as long as you don't fail, then it wasn't good enough at all. And think about that. Oh yeah, that sounds good and that's good preaching, but we don't, how many of us don't live that way? We, we think, okay, okay, well, uh, I, I'm gonna follow Christ and then man, that addiction comes or the, the, the struggle comes again, the temptation comes again, and then when the temptation comes again, we just, well, I tried it out and it didn't work, so I'm, I'm going to go back to my old ways. What do you mean it didn't work? It's working every day of your life. Every day you get up, that blood is still working. It will never lose its power. What's that song? Oh, that's the name of it. The blood will never lose its power. It's been a while since I've sung it. All right. Um, it reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley? Come on, somebody help me. Or not. Um, <laughs> the blood that gives me strength from day to day it will never lose its power. See, this is why we have limitless potential. Because our potential is not caught up in us. It's not based on how good we can act. It's based on the blood that was spilled. It never loses its power. It's based on the brokenness of Christ and it's based on the fact that he rose three days later to bring us victory and to give us life. So some of us tonight are in the same place that the Israelites were. You know, we're 
not living the life that we should be living. We're not having this relationship with Christ like we should be. And Christ is here telling us, just like he told the Israelites in Jeremiah. And you have to understand that he's telling you this, knowing exactly what you're doing when you leave this place tonight. Because we can all come in here and act all holy and act all right, but God knows what we're doing once we walk out these doors. But this is for you tonight. This is what God's telling you. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. When you call on me, when you come and pray to me, I will listen. When you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes. When you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. That's the word of the Lord, church. God doesn't judge you based on your past. God doesn't judge you based on who you were. And God doesn't judge you based on who you are. God judges you, judges you based on who you can be in Christ Jesus. Plain and simple. When we get to heaven and we're standing before the throne, God isn't going to sit there and say, okay, before you accepted Christ Jesus, this is a list of all your sins. This is what I'm judging you on. God judges us based on the blood of Christ. Based on the sacrifice of Christ. And that's the free gift that he's offering us tonight. Church, you have limitless potential in Christ Jesus. And it's because of the table. It's because of the brokenness of Christ. So every head bowed and every eye closed. Just take a minute and have some time with God here let him speak to you tonight figure out where you're at in your relationship with him I'll be honest for some of you who were told you'll never amount to anything You've come in here tonight, you've listened to me speak, and you're like, Brian, that sounds all good, and that sounds all great, but I just can't wrap my head around that because that's nothing that I've ever even began to believe. God wants to change that in you tonight. For those of you who are told that you don't have any self-worth and you'll never amount to anything, tonight God's telling you that you're worth something. Something. 
You're worth the blood and the body of my son because that's what I offered in order to buy you, in order to pay the cost for you. You need to quit listening to what other people are saying and start figuring out what God's saying about you. So every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. He'd say, Brian, my relationship with Jesus is not what it needs to be. I haven't experienced this potential in Christ that you're talking about tonight because I've never made things right with Him. Or for some of you, maybe you have at one point made things right with Christ, but you've fallen away. Maybe you're like Peter, you went back to the old life because you screwed up, you failed, you messed up. There's a risen Savior in heaven that's telling me, Brian, tell the church and tell that person and tell that person and tell that person and tell that person that I haven't given up on them yet. Because my blood never loses its power. So wherever you're at, if you'd say, you know what, Brian, my relation, I, I've never accepted Jesus or I have, but I've fallen away and I want to rededicate, recommit, I want to get things right with Him. What I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three. When I count to three, I want you to stand. I want you to come find a place at this altar and kneel. And I want you to have an encounter with the risen Savior. Because that will change your life just like it changed Paul's. On the count of three. One, two, three. Would you come?